Um, last week we had the story of a lame man healed by Peter and John when they went to pray. Some of you were here, some weren't. I'm sure you'd better go and listen to it on the net. It's been put up this morning, so I don't know why you didn't listen to it already. But um, the, um, the heart of it was a man had been lame from birth, so he'd never walked. He'd been begging for 40 years at the gate just for money. And uh, he asked Peter and John for money, and they said, we haven't got any, but what we'll give you is this. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And instantly, his legs grew muscles, tendons, and everything required, and he was dancing around the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter then, was, they found a great rush of people come towards them. Because Jews believed in science. They believed in miraculous science. They believed that if something like this happened, then you had to look what was behind that sign. If someone was healed, then obviously it pointed somewhere. And Peter gives a great sermon about Jesus. He speaks of Jesus crucified, Jesus raised from the dead, He speaks that Jesus is the fulfilment of all this you can see, which means the temple. Have a look at this temple. Jesus is the centre of all that. Now, it's an amazing time. There is a man. You can just picture him in the background the whole time they're preaching. He's still jumping around praising God because he can walk again. That's how I picture it. Maybe he sat down, but I think he wouldn't have sat down for a while, actually. And... um, And then you would think that everybody would be happy about this. But no, that's not the case. Um, And so I'm reading from verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Then they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, just a little bit of background. Sadducees didn't believe in any sort of resurrection. Acts chapter 4, sorry. Acts chapter 4. We'll be starting at verse 5 in a second. Sorry about that. Acts 4. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection... So they were really offended that um, Peter and John spoke of it. So they got put in jail for talking about the resurrection. Just, just think about that. Yep. Okay. But a lot of people believed. They heard Peter's sermon and it said, you know, there was 5,000 believers now. They believed what Peter had said. They saw the sign. They heard the words. They looked to Jesus. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others in the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, just before I read the last bit, I just want you to understand this. It started that they were arrested by the Sadducees for proclaiming the resurrection. But these people now are those who believe in the resurrection. They're just people who've got a problem with Jesus. These are the same people who two months earlier called for the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay. So, I'm going to bring up four points in this today. The first one is suffering for the name of Jesus. The second one is only Jesus. The third one is, what about belief and unbelief, hardened hearts? Well, let's face it, they saw the same sign, they didn't believe. What's going on there? And the fourth is the power of the Holy Spirit. But first, the people ask this, by what power and in whose name did you do this miracle? I think they knew before they asked, but that's okay. And Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, not speaking his own wisdom, not in his own strength, he starts by saying this, Are you charging us because we did an act of kindness? Is that really what's going on? Is that really what you're doing here? You've actually, we've been in jail for a night because, well, a man was healed. Is that really what you're on about? You can see the the silliness of it. Um, And you see, Peter, if you read his letters, and I want to point to some bits in his letters today, because this was foundational for Peter in his understanding. He had an experienced wisdom. And what he said in one point, in 1 Peter three seventeen, he says this, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, hang on. It's better, if it is God's will to suffer. God's will to suffer. We'll talk about that in a minute. Couldn't be God's will to suffer, could it? Right? <laughs> okay. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In other words, if you're going to suffer persecution, don't suffer for having a go at people. 
suffer for doing good. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If you suffer for Jesus, doing... You see, sometimes as Christians, we are tempted when there's persecution of Christianity and Christian and the Christian message to say, right, lobby the government, get out your pitchforks, tear people down. And he's saying, no, better off you suffer for acts of good. Suffer for being righteous. You wouldn't think that people would suffer for doing good. You wouldn't think that people would suffer even for preaching Jesus, would you? Logically, you'd say no. But the truth of suffering is this. The devil and the world are opposed to Christians who believe in the name of Jesus and who preach Jesus. Do you know that? So they will be persecuted. That's how, that's how it goes. The, the, the devil and the world, world conspire together to persecute the gospel message. And so he's saying this. We join in the sufferings of Christ when we were persecuted in the way he was persecuted. And that's what Peter says. Paul said the same thing. He said, but if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, suffering is hard. Is that true? Put up your hand if you like suffering. Right, that's good. But Peter is saying this, Suffering is good. It is pure. And he said this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We're actually brought close to God through suffering. Is that true? And when everything goes smooth, how close are we to God? Do we pray more in the drought or in the wet year? Do we pray more in the sickness or the good health? We join in the suffering of Christ and often we hear in the, in the Christian church, don't preach about sufferings and hardship because it's all negative. Don't talk about negative stuff. And sometimes we even hear more than that, that sufferings never come from God. Okay? Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends... Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You hear that? He's saying... Rejoice when you suffer. Don't think to yourself, well, this is strange or this is all wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. That, that sounds dumb, but the Western church believes that. If there's suffering, they'll go, well, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, is that true? Yeah. And naturally in our hearts, we may, we may not be a prosperity gospel people, but we do think in our hearts... Well, we know that God will bless us and everything's going to go smooth because we're Christians, right? Yeah? Uh, so we are adherents to the prosperity gospel secretly. But, Paul, but Peter is saying this. When you join in the sufferings of Christ, have joy. It is not that 
the removing suffering is of the greatest importance. What happens is the Western church syncretizes. That means that's when you join two religions together, when you enmesh them together like a synchro gearbox, right? Okay. They have syncretized an idolatry of easiness that Christian life should be easy and so that they believe that when you follow Jesus, potentially all suffering will end. But Peter... And Paul say here, it is a blessing to suffer in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus suffered, and he suffered greater than us, but we join in his sufferings for his name. And when we do that, it says we are blessed, and the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Okay, that's important. So, have joy. When the persecutions come. And uh, in a way, it would be a strange thing. I think we should worry more if we are not persecuted for being Christians. If everybody loves your Christianity, then I think you actually have a problem because that means the devil and the world are for you. Does that make sense? Okay. Peter finishes... 1 Peter 4, 7 and 19, he says this. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, I'll say it again. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What do you do when you suffer? Entrust yourself to Jesus, trust yourself to God and keep doing good. That's, that's your reaction to persecution. What I'm saying is this is... Peter, in his letter, and I encourage you, if you really want to read a good book about suffering, read 1 Peter. And in there you'll find Peter's writing really on what's happened in the book of Acts, particularly the first bits. It's his reaction to it and his teaching on it. And he's saying, when you are persecuted, do good, proclaim Christ, trust God, get on with it. Okay? Because Christians do have the tendency sometimes to be whingers and whiners. I won't say that out loud. Point two is only Jesus. Peter says this. uh, What's this? Verse 10. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So know this Israel, because who's he confronted with now? He's not talking to all the people. He's talking to the rulers of the temple, the Jewish leaders. Know this, Israel, you people who represent, who teach the, the, the so-called true religion of God, the man that you crucified, and these are the ones that crucified Jesus, it is in his name that this man's healed. In other words, you see this man running around? Jesus did that. Now, there's a bit of a problem. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And he healed him. And that means he's alive. You might have murdered him, but that's not the end of the story. God raised him from the dead. You want proof? 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, look at that man running and jumping, right? That's proof. That's what this sign points to. Jesus is the one who healed him. And they can't see, they are not slapped in the face by this. They know the man was healed and they go, yeah, we can't deny he was healed. What they refuse to do is to look at the sign. What is it pointing to? The truth of Jesus. They absolutely refuse that. And I'll talk about that in a minute when I talk about hardness of heart. If they had any brains, they would go onto their knees right now. So Peter's saying, read the signs. Then Peter says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's actually quoting a psalm, Psalm 118, a psalm that they knew well. And I'll read a bit more of it if you want to go. Psalm 118, verse 19. Uh, And it's a psalm of salvation. Psalm 118, verse 19. It's amazing that... uh, Peter suddenly just seems to get the Old Testament. He knows scripture. He's quoting it. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Now, Peter adds one word into that. He doesn't just say the stone the builders rejected. He changes the word. He says the stone you builders rejected. You are the builders of the temple. You are the keepers of the faith. You are the ones and you have rejected who? Well, you've rejected the gate that the righteous may enter into. What gate? What does this gate lead to? This gate leads to the presence of God. And you've rejected that gate. Actually, that gate is a person. And Peter knew well what Jesus had said in, in, in John, 12, uh, John 10. He says, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Whoever enters through this gate will be saved. Jesus is the gate and he's the only gate to salvation. Do you want to know God? There is one way. It's through Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Only through Jesus. Do you want to have a relationship with God? Through Jesus. Do you want to receive salvation? It will be through Jesus. Do you want to be, re, become righteous? It will be through Jesus. Jesus is the gate. And then Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else. I think we need to be bold in proclaiming this. Okay? It is not, he didn't say, look, you live out your truth. I'll live out my truth and we're all right. Do you understand? That's not it. It is not everybody's right. It's not all religions lead to God. It doesn't say that. Oh, they've all got a bit of truth, a bit of spark of truth. That's not what he says. Do you get this? Salvation is found in no one else but what? But Jesus Christ, who is the gate, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. Don't trust in Jesus, trust in anything else or anyone else and you will not be saved. You get that? Yeah, okay. That's the Christian faith. That's the one that will get people put in jail. You go away from that, please. No. He is the one the Old Testament spoke of. He is the fulfilment of the temple. He's the founder of the temple. He's the one who began the building of the temple. And Jesus is saying, you religious people, you need to wake up and smell the roses. You need to read the signs. You need to have a look at what is completely obvious before you. Jesus is the only gate to salvation and you, the builders, have rejected that salvation. You've rejected the true religion. He is the cornerstone. He is the basis that the whole church is built on. So when I say only Jesus, what I mean by that is only Jesus. Okay? We are not just Jesus people, we are only Jesus people. You get that? Okay. And by the way, being only Jesus people will mean suffering. It will mean persecution. First point. Belief and unbelief. I want to start with the belief bit. Many believed, up to 5,000 believe now, or it says 5,000 men, which could mean men. Sometimes the word men meant it was just a, a, a generic word, like we would say humans, but sometimes it meant men and their families. In any way, there is a large number of people. They believe because of the preaching of the gospel. Now you've got to see, if you, uh, I just had a quick flick while we were supposed to be praying a minute ago, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John preach. But if you go to chapter 5, you'll find preaching. Actually, then you get the story of Stephen, which is a great story of a great sermon. And then you get, actually, every story at the foundation of it is a proclaiming of Jesus Christ because that's what the church does. And how does faith or trust in Jesus come? By hearing what? The word of Christ. When you hear the word of Christ, you believe. Some reject it, which we'll talk about in a sec. But you see, Paul speaks of this. The preaching, preaching, the act of preaching Christ seems foolish and weak, but it is the power of God, the salvation. So preach it. The preaching, just if we could get this in our heads, right? When you talk to anybody about Jesus, you are not having a normal conversation. It is actually an event that is, uh, has the power of the Holy Spirit in it. It's a supernatural event to proclaim Christ. Do you get that? God is there. What is God doing? Well, it could be negative. It could be positive. But he's doing something. He might cause a rejection. He might cause a salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it is an event, a supernatural event. Faith comes through hearing. And faith comes 
from God. Just in case you're sitting there thinking, I've got to have more faith, I've got to work it up, I really, really, really believe that. Faith is a gift from God. Two Peter, in 2 Peter, Peter starts by saying this. To those who, through the righteousness of God, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Where does faith come from? You receive it from God. It comes to us through hearing. So, they preach Jesus, people believe, they trust Jesus, people are saved. They preach Jesus, some people disbelieve. And you think, how is it possible when you see such a sign for someone to not believe? What about unbelief? What is it? What is it when people don't believe? And, and the Bible speaks of unbelief, not just as in, I'm really trying to work it out. It actually speaks of unbelief as an evil act. It's not, I can't make up my mind. It is, I am rejecting God. That's unbelief. Can you see that? In this case, they saw a sign. And sometimes people think, well, if only we could show them a miracle, then they will believe. Well, not true. They saw a miracle and did they believe? No. Miracles don't make people believe. Because the truth is, when you read that story, they'd already decided in their heart they weren't believing. There is no way they were believing in Jesus. And that's the problem. Unbelief is not an accident. It's deliberate. It is a hardened heart. And a hardened heart will not change. It's hard. Paul says this, for although they knew God, this is Romans 121, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they never glorified or gave him thanks. That's not an unbelief as in I'm trying to work it out. That's an unbelief in I know who Jesus is and I refuse to believe him. Do you understand? It's not that they cannot believe. They're just trying really hard to believe. No. It's that they refuse to believe. That's why if you've ever tried to argue someone into the kingdom, you're really trying to convince them, if I could just get my talk right, I could really show them that Jesus is real. You know how that works, don't you? Not real well. Because you see, it is the preaching of Christ crucified that causes some to believe. Not a good argument, although everybody is converted, has their mind changed, there's no doubt about that, and they do believe all of a sudden that the cross of Christ is the most sensible thing in the world. But apart from the workings of God, apart from him giving faith, they cannot believe. But that means when a person becomes a Christian, it's not just that their mind suddenly becomes, oh, yeah, I get it now. It's far more than that. It is that the Holy Spirit brings a radical, deep work that completely changes a person. It's called regeneration, being born again, being made a new creation. It's not that someone's gone from, I haven't had any faith and now I've got faith. It's, I've gone from being in opposition to Jesus and now I think he is the most important and wonderful person in the whole universe. And this comes by the Holy Spirit. So a hardened heart is a heart that's resistant to the truth of God. We 
without the, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And you see, in the Old Testament, Pharaoh hardens his heart and God hardens his heart. But in, in, in uh, Exodus 4, right at the start of that whole story, when God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, he says right up front, God says, I'm going to harden his heart. You see, when people oppose God, God hands them over to their sin and they continue. So in Romans 1.26, it said, because of their idolatry, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. God gave them over. They said, we want to do this, and God said, righto, you're going to do that. And that's a significant part of the punishment. So, understand this. Hardened hearts deliberately oppose Jesus and his Father. And this hardening is at least, in part, a work of God. And it comes through the preaching of the Gospel. And it came to these people here who knew the sign. They knew Jesus had done that healing and they refused to believe it. They were hard. Okay. Only Jesus can save Remember that? And when he's proclaimed, suffering comes. The last point is this. Good one. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that's happening here. Remember we started the book of Acts by saying this is about everything the Holy Spirit does through the church. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, it's about the third time in the book of Acts that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks boldly. He speaks the truth. And it says, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. They couldn't understand. How can a vulgar, that's a word that's used, a vulgar fisherman speak like this? There's actually a good chance that Peter couldn't read or write. Do you know that? He dictated his books. That's unschooled, isn't it? So what scripture does he know? Only what he's read and remembered. Yep. How does this knowledge come? By the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said this in Luke 12, verse 11. When you are brought before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how to defend yourselves and what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. That's exactly what's happening right now. Jesus is right. The Holy Spirit brings boldness. The Holy Spirit crafts the message in the mind of the believer. And the Holy Spirit brings faith. The Holy Spirit gives his voice. We must learn to seek the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Holy Spirit, to desire the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for us who have experienced the weird and wacky, stupid views of the Holy Spirit in, this, in the, what's called the church in Australia, right? That doesn't mean that we have to reject the Holy Spirit. We just have to reject the rubbish. Do you understand what I'm saying? We still need the Holy Spirit. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings the knowledge of the Father. He brings the knowledge of the redemption of the Son. And he gives us the boldness to proclaim. We need the Holy Spirit. He's everything to us. And he brings salvation. As we proclaim Christ crucified. I'm going to pray. 
Father, we want to thank you for the boldness of Peter and John, and we want to thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And we thank you for the salvation that has come through Jesus alone, and we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would make us bold, that we might be proclaimers of your truth, that we might put our trust in you, that we might seek and desire and ask for the work of your Spirit in our lives, And Father, that we might boldly be your people of faith. We pray that you would give us faith. We pray that you would make us strong and weak. Strong in you and weak in ourselves. We pray that you would make us wise and foolish. Wise because we know the truth of Jesus. And foolish because we know that in ourselves we have no wisdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.